My name is Shubh Saran, and this is a podcast series where I explore the life of musicians on and off stage. I'm making this series to ask what it means to be a musician today in the hopes that I can better understand what we do and why we choose to do it. Because if you heard the story through kind words that I told you. That's Sarah McDonald capturing a voice note on her phone as she writes the bridge to New York Philharmonic and Aberdeen's latest song collaboration, a song that came out on Friday, November 4th. I'm incredibly lucky to be a part of both these bands, bands that have heavily shaped my own guitar playing and my overall sound. And both bands have a ton in common. They're both far too big for most stages we play on. They're both prog, rock, jazz, sometimes metal, horn, and string bands. They both have a ton of musicians in common, and they're both led by two great friends of mine and very talented musicians. I'm Brian Plouts, and I'm the band leader for Aberdeen. I'm Sarah McDonald, and I lead the New York Chill Harmonic. <laughs> <laughs> so much emphasis on lead. Lead, I lead them. And today, we're going to take a deep dive into their new song, I've Lost It, and talk about the upcoming Aberdeen and New York Chill Harmonic co-headlining U.S. tour starting November 29th. If I were to call you back, Being a musician in New York means hopping around many different bands all at the same time. And part of that means being in bands that have a large intersection of many of the same musicians. But despite that, Aberdeen and the New Yorkshire Harmonic have pretty distinct sounds. Even though the core idea remains the same, a big horn-centric orchestral band backed by a rock rhythm section, it all really comes down to Brian and Sarah's unique songwriting style. Brian and Aberdeen drift more into the indie rock and brass band world with catchy hooks and lush horn harmonies. While Sarah and the New York Philharmonic explore a slightly darker side to the similar instrumentation, drawing from more contemporary classical orchestration to straight up dance music. So when Sarah and Brian started writing the song together, it felt like a fairly obvious collaboration. And the most amazing thing is that it sounded like neither of them. I've Lost It is a sound of its own. Neither Aberdeen nor New York Philharmonic. So how did this whole collaboration and tour come about? You know, when we started booking the tour, I was like, all right, we should just have as much content as possible. Just, and I was like, let's write a song together. And then it kind of just like turned into a whole thing. But on the way over there, I actually was like, I didn't have anything. So I drove there and like recorded like, I like came up with like a song in my car and like recorded the whole thing like through my car speakers, which was terrible. So we kind of like took the elements. We took like the the tempo and like sort of the chord structure that I was thinking of in my mind and started with that and then like set up that little synthy line, which turned into your guitar part. It was a synth pad that we then just tried like what if we did like a arpeggiator which is kind of like spat out a part that sounds very similar to that guitar part then once we had that going like on a loop then that's when i just like i started just singing that melody if i were to call you back 
The song intro builds into this exposed, stripped-down verse that sets the tone for the entire song. And the lyrics came as Sarah was writing the melody all at the same time. So what is this song actually about? I don't know. I guess I just take it as like like a weird, like a breakup. Like, oh, I want to, I don't know. It's like, don't text your ex, which I know is like super basic, but I didn't have any like preconceived like ideas about a theme before we met. So it was just like whatever came out on the spot. And it all did. It was like, we wrote those lyrics like as we were writing the melody. If I would have called you back, wouldn't it see you now? Once Sarah and Brian had the synth-slash-guitar loop and the lyrics down, it was time to create the groove for the whole song. As they were working on it, they knew who was going to be recording these parts, and were writing for specific rhythm section players in mind, specifically Adam Neely on bass and Josh Bailey on drums. But as a placeholder, Brian actually took MIDI-programmed drums from another new in-progress Aberdeen song and flew that into this session. You know what demo. <laughs> it's like a new Aberdeen song that's not recorded yet. One that um, you and I were working on together. So that's your MIDI drumming that I just had in that session. I knew that we wanted it to go in this like somewhat like indie, like Tom driven direction. So I just like copy and pasted that MIDI drum demo into this session to see if it worked. And we thought it worked great, but yeah, that's that's Josh's drumming via Shub's MIDI drumming. <laughs> with like all parts, with the exception of like horn arranging, like all rhythm section parts are typically just made as a guide, I would trust a guitarist to come up with a better guitar part or a drummer to come up with a better drum part, which like, you know, both of you guys did. So all those things, it's like, I'll try my best to try to capture the sound, the vibe that we're going for, and then just trust the musicians to adapt it. As I mentioned before, like, any great collaboration, the final product sounds like neither band, but rather a whole separate part of Brian and Sarah's musicality. And the section that represents that the best is the bridge. Cause if you heard the story through kind words that I told you. You know, we're supposed to meet up and like, I had been really busy and it was like, fuck, we gotta get together. So it was like literally 30 minutes before I walked out the door, I just like, sat down at the piano really quick and like busted that one out. I think I only know how to write music if I have like a gun to my head. I can't just like take time and like write a nice song and like enjoy the songwriting process. I need to be like, this is an emergency and I need to have this done like right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a lot of the things you do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like I just, it has to be like just heightened anxiety and like full blown panic. Otherwise I'm not going to get it done. This section of the song features instruments that aren't actually in either of the bands. The bridge starts with layers of synthesizers with just Sarah's voice, 
and hints at the future of what these two bands might potentially come to sound like. Although it's not recorded or shown in live shows, I feel like this kind of has become a little bit more closer to like what my writing style has become. Like all the new things are a little bit more synth-driven. It Maybe it sounds different from New York Philharmonic and different from Aberdeen, but I don't think it's too different from maybe the direction that at least Aberdeen is going and maybe New York Philharmonic as well. I was listening to a ton of Bjork and Hannah Huckleberg at the time, and they both just have like so many vocal layers and like yelling, <laughs> which I do at the yeah. end of that bridge. So that I mean that was just like where my like where my ears were at the time, for sure. And while these two bands have pretty much every musical layer covered between the two of them, the synth production features another musician friend who isn't technically in the live lineup of either group, but very much a part of the same community of musicians. So we demoed out a lot of synth parts, but then we just sent all of those parts to Christian Lee in Shib's band and and in Sungazer and, you know, just general best friend synth wizard i was like hey here are these parts tell me what you think if you could replace them with real analog sense with like all the knowledge that you have that goes into synthesizers like and if you want to add more parts or remove things or totally change things like essentially like here are these software sense can you make it legit and then he proceeded to really freaking do that and like the difference between you know the demoed sense which honestly were good enough to just use and just you know make sure that they're mixed appropriately the difference between those to what he recorded was like night and day i mean it just sat like you could hear the analog warmth he added so much expression with like crescendos and like opening up filters as it builds In addition to the true synth layers, the other like electronic production moments are like, I just gave the whole track to Jared, Jared Yee on tenor sax, because he's such a saxophone pedal wizard. I was like, hey, just try some things out if you want to add some like ear candy and stuff, you know, see see what you're able to come up with. And he, again, he sent me like a ton of layers. So there are some moments that kind of sound like they might be synthesizers, but... It's actually just saxophone. The bridge builds into this epic final chorus that's more reminiscent of an Aberdeen song or the end of an epic New York Philharmonic song. But my favorite part about this section, aside from playing power chords in drop D, is the sneaky modulation that comes out of nowhere, but also at the same time makes perfect sense. And the reason behind that seamless modulation 
is because of the chords that are being hinted at in the bridge, preparing us for something we'd only hear at the end of the song. A reason why it works so well is because in the bridge, those sneaky chords that are slightly out of the key, it's bringing you more to the right on the circle fifths. Like it's all the chords are like slightly more majory or more Lydian y. The notes that you could highlight to outline them would be like the sharp 11. So it's like if you're in C major, then it's bringing you more toward G major and then even D major. So I guess we're going from C major to B minor. So you're adding two sharps, which we've kind of been like hinting at throughout the whole bridge. The chord progression for the bridge that Sarah was playing in that voice note is F major 7 to G add 4 to E minor 7, followed by the first hint of a new tonality. So in the key of C, which this song is mostly in, the naturally occurring D chord is D minor. But the chord in this song is D major, introducing an F sharp instead of F, implying that C Lydian or G major sound that Brian was just talking about. The second half of the progression continues to F major 7, to G add 4, to E minor 7 just like before, but this time to A major. Now again, in C major, the naturally occurring A chord is an A minor chord. But this A major chord introduces that C sharp note, key of D major tonality. So when the song does finally modulate to B minor, adding two sharps, F sharp and C sharp, We've actually already heard those two notes repeated a few times in the chords. And our ears remember those new interesting notes until it finally lands into the new key. And then also the melodic notes that you're hearing from the horns, it's an E. So it's the 11 of the B minor, which is like a good note, you know, solid note to land on. But it's also within the previous key. It's like a really strong note in C major. If the bridge was truly just C major, and then we go to B minor and we land on an F sharp or a C sharp or something, it's really going to like be jarring, maybe in a cool way. But I like how this was like a little sneakier, a little more subtle. Co-writing can kind of be, like, it can kind of be stressful. Like, you never know. It just, like, depends on how you work with the other person. Like, it's not the same experience time after time. So having not written with Sarah, I just had no expectations as to what, you know, what kind of ideas we would come up with. Aberdeen and the New York Chill Harmonic, there definitely is a crossover with, like, you know, it's jazz adjacent. There's a ton of horns. It's rock-influenced. I knew that we were going to like align on a bunch of ideas, but sitting down and actually diving into it is like so pleasantly surprised as to like how easy it was. And just like, I feel like everything that we came up with, we were just like really into. And then if there was anything that we didn't like, it was like so easy to just like fix it or scratch it. And there's, there wasn't like any ego involved, which can be like a tricky thing with co-writing. If somebody really likes an idea and the other person doesn't, then you have to be accommodating. And it's that easy, egoless songwriting process that created the song. Possibly one of my favorite Aberdeen songs and one of my favorite New York Philharmonic songs. But the song has another story, and that is the joint co-headlining tour that's coming up in less than a month. I was thinking about it and I was like, uh, I bet Aberdeen 
could do the same thing as me. Like we can just share horn players. So I just called Brian and was like, do you want to do this? Cause I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so, and I already had, I had that Syracuse date and like, you know, just art, like the Midwest dates, I, that booked really fast. And then we, I guess the last stragglers were like Cleveland. Well, like we, it made sense to pass through Cleveland and Brian is from there. So he was able to help with that. And then Chicago was like the last one actually to get finalized. You know, the really convenient thing and the reason why this is going to work so well is that Sarah and I as band leaders, we just have like the same friends and the same bandmates with like some rare exceptions so we're just able to travel with the same rhythm section and then yeah we just hire the rest of the so it's just like horn players are going to play in both and then string players are going to play in the new york chill harmonic these days more and more artists are suffering some pretty major burnout and financial loss from touring with the pandemic and rising costs of almost everything going out on the road can be a pretty daunting task especially for bands the size of New York Philharmonic and Aberdeen. But having a large band doesn't mean you shouldn't get to tour and shouldn't mean that your listeners don't get to see you live in their cities. And so Sarah and Brian had to get pretty creative with how they were going to make this work. Using the model that Sarah has been using in the past, the two bands will be filling in missing musicians with local musicians in each city that we travel to. With seven shows, that's a lot of people. Yeah, it's 91 my God, that's insane. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be 91, you know, Pete, like bodies total, I guess, because we I have to hire 13 people per show, but it's going to be like, you know, some people will do a few shows. So it's not really like 91 people, but it's like numbers wise, seven shows times 13. Which is like a bit nerve wracking. But the upside of it is that it's like really community driven, which just like feels great. It's like, you know, we're in each city, it's going to feel somewhat like a hometown show for like a lot of the people in the band. And we're going to be meeting people across the country, which is awesome. Like more people to collaborate with. And then like, you know, I hate having to like think about it and talk about it, but like it does save money because if we were to travel with the full band, then that's like X number more hotel rooms, X number more flights. It just like really adds up. We live in a weird time where musicians create music for streaming services, tour in economies that don't necessarily work out for them, and all the while have to remain inspired and motivated to do so. The theme of a lot of the episodes in these few weeks on this podcast has been about community. And I come back to that theme so much because it's really what helps in these times. Whether or not we acknowledge it overtly or in podcast form, having other musician folks in the same boat helps everyone pull through. At the end of the day, no matter how hard it is, we still need to make music and we still need to tour. There's something in all of us that compels us to do these things, regardless of market forces and gas prices. Even when it makes little sense to carry on, we still carry on. And that's exactly why I love being a musician, surrounded by other musicians. And if you're coming to one of the Aberdeen and New York Philharmonic shows, you'll see a lot of familiar faces and voices from my own band and this podcast. Me? You, Adam, Josh, Brian, Leah, and Jared. I didn't say any last names, so. (laughs) I think everyone knows. I think people will get it, yeah. And if this is the first that you're hearing about the tour, then come hang out with us. As always, 
Thank you so much to my patrons over at Patreon who support the show. And thank you to you for listening and sharing and all in all being the reason why I do everything that I do. I'll see you in two weeks on this podcast and maybe even in person on the road. <laughs>